0: Turn with me in your copies of God's Word to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10, but also go ahead and put a finger into 1 Corinthians chapter 14. So Leviticus chapter 10. And then 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Last time we considered how we are to worship, and we saw very clearly and plainly that we are to worship only in the way in which the Lord prescribes in His Word. We looked at the doctrine that is known as the regulative principle of worship, that whatever is not commanded by God in the scripture to be done in worship is forbidden. With that principle in place, we must now consider that principle applied. So, hear now the word of the Lord from Leviticus chapter 10. Verses one through three and First Corinthians chapter 14 verse forty. This is God's word. and Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron took either of them his censer and put fire therein, and put put incense thereon, and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he commanded them not. And there went out fire from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40. Let all things be done decently and in order. Thus far, the reading of God's word, let us now go to him in prayer, asking his blessing on it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word that we have just read. We uh, do love your law We do make it our study all the day. We do delight in it. And so, Lord, as we have now heard the reading of the Word, we ask Your blessing upon it and that the Word would go forth and never return void. We ask, Lord, that our ears would be open and our hearts would be open to receive this Word so that we do not just simply hear uh, the words as, as mere uh, speech, but that we, we hear it conscionably, that it sinks into the deepest parts of our beings, and that we rejoice in it. We receive it with joy and with gladness, and we hide Your Word in our hearts. So Lord, we ask that You would bless our listening of this Word as well. And now as we come to the proclamation of this Word, to the preaching of it, we ask that what is preached this day would not be... uh, in the enticing words of man's wisdom, but would be in the demonstration and power of the Holy Ghost. We ask, Lord, that that the minister would decrease so that Christ would be magnified. We ask that uh, the preaching would be received as it is with the authority of thus set the Lord. And Lord, we ask that uh, Your blessing would be upon the minister who is Your mouthpiece. Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Today our sermon is going to look a little different than they usually do. My regular practice is to preach from one specific passage and to give an expo- uh, uh, exposition of that text. And while there will be some exposition in the sermon, it will be much more Topical, explaining a doctrine that we hold to by using these two passages as the backbone of this doctrine. It's also basically a continuation of our sermon from last week. It's good for us to know the doctrine of the regulative principle, but if we don't know how that doctrine plays out in the worship of the Lord, then have we really gained anything? We say that nothing is to be done in the worship of God that is not commanded, but you may look around and see that we do things that are not commanded in Scripture. Nowhere does the Scripture command that we have to meet in a church building. Nowhere does the Scriptures command that we have to sit in pews during worship. Nowhere does the Scriptures command that the pastor must preach from while standing behind a pulpit. Nowhere does the Scriptures command that we must use the The book of Psalms for singing is our psalter. Nowhere does the Scriptures command that we are to meet at 10.45 a.m. for our corporate worship service. But yet all of those things are true of what we do here at Westminster. So does that mean that we are sinning in doing those things? After all, to do in worship what the Lord has not commanded to be done is a sinful act. And it's rebellion against God. You may think that this sounds silly, but I've heard this argument made against those who hold to the regulative principle many times. And so this is where distinction is helpful. There are those things which are necessary Parts of worship, those things which make up the essence and the acts of worship, which must be commanded in the Scriptures in order for us to do them in worship. But there are also those things that are not of the essence and acts of worship, but tend to the better ordering of worship. This is the distinction between elements and circumstances of worship. And our theme this morning is whatever is done in worship must be done decently and in order. And we get that straight from our 1 Corinthians text. Whatever is done in worship must be done decently and and in order. And we'll consider this Theme under three heads. First, we will see the need for order. Next, we will look at the elements of worship. And then finally, we will look at the circumstances of worship. So let us first consider the need for order. And this, like I said, this comes straight out of the 1 Corinthians 14 passage. Let all things be done decently. And in order. And if you know anything about the church at Corinth at the time that Paul is writing this letter, then you know that this church is anything but decent and in order. Many call Corinth a church in chaos. There was a man sleeping with his father's wife, something which was unheard of even among the pagans, and yet the church was hesitant to enact discipline upon him. There were people who were coming into the corporate gathering and were getting drunk on the wine that was intended to be used in the celebration of the Lord's Supper. Some were refusing to follow the apostolic tradition that was given unto them as is seen in the beginning of uh, Chapter 11 of this letter. There were what could be called charismatics within the congregation. Those who were speaking in unknown tongues and causing disruptions. Nothing about this church could be deemed decent and in order. Paul spends the majority of this letter seeking to correct these errors. He even says that this reputation of chaos within the church at Corinth is affecting how the world looks at them. He says in verse 23, "...if therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak in tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers..." will they not say that ye are mad? What else could be said of a church in which such things are taking place? Can someone walk into that congregation and receive the Word of God if everyone in that place is spouting off gibberish in some unknown language? And is this not the same thing that we see in countless churches throughout the world? This charismatic chaos, as one pastor puts it, is running rampant throughout modern Christianity. If you were to walk into any big box, charismatic, non-denominational church and see what's going on in there, how, how could you think that anything other How could you think anything other than that the people in this place have gone mad? When I was in high school, I got caught up in the uh, charismatic frenzy and I visited a local non denominational church. And the first and only time that I was there, I witnessed people literally running around the room while shouting. The quote unquote pastor was on stage mumbling gibberish into a microphone while rocking back and forth as though he were in some kind of trance. And at one point, I was surrounded by six people who were all shouting gibberish at me all at once. To be honest, I was terrified. And finally, I was able to get away, and so I left. And the only thought that I had at that time were that those people were crazy. I lived what Paul is warning here in this text. This is what the world thinks about charismatics. But what's even worse is that there are those who will take what is done in those types of churches and then apply it to Protestants as a whole. There's this Eastern Orthodox guy on the internet, his name is Jeremy, and he makes videos after videos criticizing Protestants, and he uses charismatics as his evidence. And I believe what he is doing is intentionally lying against Protestants. But the fact remains that he is an example of those who are outside of the true religion looking in on the chaos in the modern church and saying that we are mad. And he's not alone. Countless others outside the church say the exact same thing, and they even lump us in with those who are crazy. Friends, Paul says that this must not be the case. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Our worship must be done decently and in order or what we are doing is not of God. That's why we have an order for the things here. That's why in your bulletin, there is an order of worship. Our directory for public worship states, the Scriptures do not prescribe a fixed order of worship, but so that all things may be done decently and in order, it is desirable that the exercises of worship be conducted in a biblical, thoughtful, dignified, and edifying manner. That's why we have an order of worship. You know everything that is going to take place during this worship service. There are no moments of spontaneous outbursts or times in which someone stands up and begins spouting off gibberish. It's not going to happen here. Everything is done decently and in order. But friends, there are other ways in which Worship can descend into disorder, ways in which we are much more prone to fall into. How many times have you been in worship and someone has forgotten to turn off or silence their phone? How many times have you heard someone talking to their neighbor during the service? These things threaten the decency and order of the worship service just as much as as the charismatic chaos. Make sure that you go uh, and, and prepare yourself to come into the worship service beforehand. Go to the restroom before the service starts so that you're not getting up and causing a disruption by walking out. Now I understand that there are uh, certain medical uh, conditions that make it necessary to have to get up and leave, and that's fine. The Lord, the Lord desires mercy and not sacrifice, but that's the exception. We ought to be preparing ourselves before coming into the worship, so as we can devote this time to decent in orderly worship. Parents, if your children become unruly during the service and cannot be calmed in a timely manner, then quietly go downstairs until the child is calmed and can return. The Lord desires that children be in the service with all of us, uh, but we do have a nursery available if it's needed for a brief period of time. Friends, you should save your conversations and your questions until after the service so as to not disrupt and disturb your neighbors. These are all ways in which we can ensure that we're following the principle that is laid out in Scripture. Brothers and sisters, when you come into the public worship of God, do so reverently and soberly, ensuring that you don't cause disruptions. Because there, there needs to be order in worship. And part of the way in which the church maintains this order and does not descend into chaos is by observing the principle that we looked at last week. If one only observes in worship those things which the Lord has commanded to be done, then the possibility of disorder is greatly reduced. So what are the things which must be observed in worship? They are those things which are commanded to be done in worship. Those things which are the essence and the acts of worship. They are the elements of worship. Our confession of faith says in chapter 21, uh, where it lays down these elements as parts of worship for us, it says, Prayer with thanksgiving Being one special part of religious worship is required, is by God required of all men. The reading of the scriptures with godly fear, the sound preaching and conscientious hearing of the word, in obedience unto God with understanding, faith, and reverence, singing of psalms with grace in the heart, as also the due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments instituted by Christ are all parts of the ordinary religious worship of God besides religious oaths, vows, solemn fastings, and thanksgivings upon several occasions which are in their several times and seasons to be used in an holy and religious manner. Friends, these and only these ought to be done in worship. Because these are the only parts of worship that God has commanded for His church to observe. These are the elements of worship. These are the things with the, which the Scripture says must be done. And so the rest of this sermon series after next week, will focus in detail on each of these elements. And what they entail. But for now, I want to briefly show you that these elements are commanded in Scripture. Where do we see prayer commanded of the people of God? Well, honestly, it's all throughout the Scripture, but two places uh, but there are two places where I think we should look to see the divine warrant, and those are Matthew six with the introduction to the Lord's Prayer. And Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. So Matthew 6 verses 5 through 9. And when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet. And when thou hast shut thy door, Pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not the vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask them. After this manner therefore pray ye. Hear that statement. Over and over again, the command, pray ye. You must pray when you pray. And then in Philippians 4, verse 6, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And then the reading of Scriptures is found in Acts Chapter 15 and verse 21. For Moses of old time hath in every city them that preach him, being read in the synagogues every Sabbath day. We know that our New Testament worship is patterned after synagogue worship. And we see that in synagogue worship, the reading of Moses, which would be the reading of the Torah, was part of regular uh, synagogue worship, and it must continue with us as well. And the sound preaching of the word is found in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. Here, Paul. Uh, tells this young pastor he must preach the Word. The conscionable hearing of the Word is found in Hebrews 4 and verse 2. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them. But the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So the hearing of the word must be mixed with faith. That is what is meant by the constable hearing of it. Colossians 3.16 commands the singing of psalms. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts unto the Lord. The due administration and worthy receiving of the sacraments is seen in multiple places. Concerning the sacrament of baptism, we can go to Matthew chapter 28 and verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power in heaven is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the world. Amen. And then concerning the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, we can go to First Corinthians chapter eleven and verses twenty-three through twenty-seven with the words of institution. For I have received of the Lord that which also I have delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner he also took the cup, and when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So we see very clearly these are the parts of ordinary worship. These are things that we normally do. But there are also occasional elements, occasional parts which are to be observed in their proper times as well. Religious oaths, which are seen in Deuteronomy 6.13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve Him and shalt swear by His name. And then vows are found in the prophecy of the nations coming unto Jehovah in Isaiah 19 and verse 21. And the Lord shall be known to Egypt and the Egyptians shall know the Lord in that day and shall do sacrifice and oblation. Yea, they shall vow a vow Unto the Lord and perform it. And you see there that vowing the vow is in connection with sacrificing a sacrifice. It's part of the worship. And if you are members within the church, or uh, you will remember that you took vows when you became members, and it was during the worship service. And if you're planning to become a member, if you're if you're wanting to join this church, when you when you. Are examined by the session, you will have to take vows in the worship service. Because it is a part of worship. Making a public covenant is part of worship. And we see solemn fasts commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 9.15 And Jesus said unto them, can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. And thanksgivings are seen in Psalm 107, all throughout the psalm, but I'll read verse 1. Oh give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever give thanks unto the Lord. To not observe these elements both ordinary and occasional or to add elements which have not been commanded in the New Testament is to disobey the command of Deuteronomy 12.32 that we looked at last week. What things soever I command you, observe to do it thou shalt not add thereto nor diminish from it. It's the danger of messing with elements. To do so places you in danger of being consumed by the fire of the Lord just as Nadab and Abihu were. Friends, you must be careful with what is done in public worship, and ensure that what is done in the worship of God is according to the elements that are prescribed by Him. But what of those things that I mentioned at the beginning of this sermon? What of those things that are not commanded by the Lord, but are utilized anyway? Well, those are circumstances of worship. They're things that are not of the essence and the acts of worship, but tend towards the ordering of worship. The Confession of Faith in chapter 1, paragraph 6, states, "...the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for His own glory, man's salvation, faith, and life..." is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture unto which nothing at any time is to be added whether by new revelation of the Spirit or traditions of men. That's elements of worship. Those are the elements. But it goes on to say, "...nevertheless, we acknowledge the inward illumination of the Spirit of God to be necessary, for the saving understanding of such things as are revealed in the Word, and that there are some circumstances concerning the worship of God and the government of the church common to human actions and societies which are to be ordered by the light of nature and Christian prudence according to the general rules of the Word which are always to be observed. Those are the circumstances. In their nature... Circumstances do not involve our approach to God or our response to His Word. That's what makes them distinct from the elements. They are not as many like to make them out to be matters that are wholly indifferent. But instead, they are those things which are common to all societies and are ordered by the light of nature. James Bannerman writes, there are circumstances of time and place and form necessary for the order and decency of the service of the church as much as for the service or actions of any civil or voluntary society. And these, though connected with, are no portion of divine worship. There must be a sufficient reason in the way of securing decency or preventing disorder to warrant the church in enacting regulations, even in the circumstances of worship, as contradistinguished from its ceremonies. Both human actions and societies, as well as the light of nature and Christian prudence, dictates certain circumstances of worship. We see that we must have a place to meet when congress meets to discuss matters pertaining to the government they meet in a particular place and so the same is true for us could you imagine the disorder of not having a set place for the people of god to meet and how how disordered it would be for people to just arrive wherever they want and expect to be able to gather with the people of God. It would be chaos. Now that doesn't mean that we have to worship in this church building. We are blessed by God to have such a beautiful meeting place, but there's nothing special about this building. It's just a building. When the well was messed up uh, last year, you all... Went and you met in another building, and then during uh, during the beginning of the pandemic, when I was still in Alabama, uh, the Saints at Birmingham RPC, we met outside at a horse farm. It doesn't matter where you meet, but there must be a set meeting place. Do you see how that circumstance? Tends itself towards the orderliness of worship, or can you think uh, about, or or you or you can think about the pews that you're sitting in. Anytime there is a meeting of people together in our society, especially if there is one person who is assigned to be the speaker to uh, a group of people, then there's a place for the people to sit during that gathering and to listen. This isn't particular to the church. And there's nothing inherently special about having pews instead of chairs. There's simply a means to help maintain order within the gathering. In fact, if you go to some societies, you won't have anything to sit on. There are some societies that sit on the floor. Others will sit on cushions. And there are some societies that even stand the whole time. And I believe that it was the practice in first century Judaism for the rabbi to sit while everyone else stood while he was teaching. And I would be okay if we switched to that. But it's a circumstance. It's not something that Scripture Dictates, but is something that Christian prudence in the light of nature dictates. Or what about the time that we gather? Is there anything specifically religious about why we have corporate worship at 1045? Are those who meet at 930 sinning? Well, of course not. But there must be a specific time for the saints to gather or else there would be chaos with people coming in and going out at whatever time that they please. And it must be ordered according to wisdom, according to the light of nature and Christian prudence. That's why we don't meet at three o'clock in the morning or at eleven o'clock at night. And this list of circumstances, it can go on and on and on. There's so many different ones. But the problem arises when those within the church make circumstances of worship into elements of worship. This happens when we attribute religious significance to something that was never intended to have it. This is how man-made traditions enter into the church and they corrupt the worship of the Lord. Remember what Christ says of the Pharisees in Mark chapter 7. These people honoreth Me with their lips, but their heart is far from Me. Howbeit in vain do they worship Me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. For laying aside the commandments of God, behold to such things uh, you hold the traditions of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. The apostolic rule is let everything be done decently and in order. But the general this general rule must not authorize the introduction into the church the rites and ceremonies of human invention. It must not uh, set off the worship of God according to how He has prescribed it by introducing traditions of men. To admit unwritten traditions would open a door for all sorts of innovation and corruptions within the the fancies of men that they may devise. And it would make void the law of God. And where do we often see this? Because it happens very often, even within Reformed churches. I want you to think of candles, for instance. If the power were to go out in this building and the sun were to go away and there was a great storm and and it was very dark and we needed a light source so that we could continue to be able to read the Scriptures and to be able to, to read our Psalters so that we could continue to be able to engage in worship then it would be perfectly fine for us to pull out some candles and to light them so that there's light within this room. They're a circumstance. There's no difference between a candle and these light bulbs. They light the room. However, what we see many churches doing is they practice lighting candles as a religious act such as lighting Advent candles. And so this takes the circumstance of having candles as a light source and makes it into an element which the Lord has not commanded. In this particular instance, the lighting of candles is literal strange fire which is offered up to Jehovah. Friends, we must be careful That the right ordering of, we must be careful that we observe the right ordering of our worship. That we do not confuse those parts of worship that must be observed and the circumstances which are determined by wisdom. Because to do so is to offer strange fire unto the Lord. Brothers and sisters, understanding this distinction is key to understanding how we are to worship. This is the outflowing of the regulative principle of worship that whatever God has not commanded to be done in worship is forbidden. Guard yourselves to ensure that your personal preferences and traditions do not seep into the worship of God. He is a holy and just God who is jealous for the worship of His people and He will not tolerate impurity. As we move forward in this series, you must remember these things. You must judge what is done in our worship service against these things and see if what we are doing is according to the Word of God. You must judge your own personal worship practices in your home against these things and see if what you are doing is according to the to the Word of God. Do everything within your power to ensure that what is done here among us is not something that the world can look at and scoff and say that we are crazy. They may choose to hate us. And if they do, let it be because we're obedient to the Scriptures, not because we've descended into chaos. Remember this truth. Whatever is done in worship must be done decently and in order. Let us pray. Father, we come to You and we thank You that You have not left us uh, to our own uh, imaginations to determine how You desire to be worshipped, but Lord, You have commanded us how You desire to be worshipped. And so, Lord, we ask that you would keep us from straying from this principle. Do not let us confuse those circumstances and those elements. Keep us from offering strange fire unto you, which you have not commanded. Father, let us seek reformation, both corporately, individually, and as a family. And let us seek to do everything to bring glory and honor to your name. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.